Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and happy holidays to you all. This is our annual tradition. It's an opportunity for us to look back at some of our best episodes in 2022. We thank you for your support. Without you guys, it would not be possible, and it's a complete honor to host this podcast for the compounding community. Throughout the year, we had an opportunity to sit down with some amazing guests, amazing individuals that also work at PCCA, and this is really a collective of some of those best moments. We really hope that you enjoy this episode and get a snapshot of what 2022 was like. We have an amazing year planned ahead as we surpass the 100th episode mark. But like I said, thank you again for all your support. We really appreciate it. This is Mike Delicia. We hope that you enjoy our 2022 year in review. Enjoy. Of high quality. And it's optimized. Yeah. I yeah. think that's what's really cool too is the mixing time and the speed and you know how it reacts, making sure that we have the data to make sure there's no degradation or that you know the API is dispersed properly. All those types of things, which is probably what you're alluding to is- Absolutely how something that can be included in a pharmacy setting is also optimized and then validated through us takes the worry away from the, from the member. I think that's the ideal goal and the intent behind all that. Mm-hmm. Peace of mind, um, solid science. And um, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I want to say there was one member who's, who actually made the comment to me and it was a pretty profound comment at the time. He said, without the beyond you study, then I, how am I ever going to, give a patient what they need. Whereas the value of the one beyond you state study to my practice is the worth the price of PCCA membership. It was literally that much to, to that particular practice on one formula. Yeah. And we've got how many now? 164, I believe. More than that. So we're, we're pushing the 200 mark. Mm-hmm. Now, so. It, it oh, always yeah. changes. I never try to throw out a number because it always goes up. Yeah, it always and, goes up. And then you're like, well, yeah, that, million. Was, that was 2021, Mike. That was a while back. Yeah. You know, on the note of, of Beyond New States, and we talked about this in the base technology podcast that we recorded with Daniel. But you know, is it safe to say that you know a few years into the anhydrous market, are are we really proud and and are we on the right track of the base development as it pertains to anhydrous solutions and, and, and base technology that has completely changed the game for, for pharmacies. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think it's been, I think it's been a great thing for our members. I think it's been um, good for patient care too. Look, anhydrous systems now granted, you know, we know some of the motivation behind it is the, desire to have better beyond use states with an anhydrous system. But there are inherently challenges with anhydrous systems. They're not always ideal for every clinical scenario. Um, You know, you you think about oral preparations, for example, may not be ideal for a, a, a very young child because you do worry about some aspiration or certain situations like that. Um, and they behave uniquely and they're not always completely inert either, you know, and, and, um, the more we've studied them, the more we've used them in formulas, 
and observed various behaviors. The, we've learned so much, and 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 we've we've identified sometimes uh, some anhydrous systems with certain actives don't don't work, and so it's not a universal for everything. Just stick it in, just throw it into an anhydrous system, you're okay. And I know I've heard heard that said, and I get where they're coming from, trying to establish a, a better beyond you state. But, you know, on, I can tell you that on, on our side of the fence, we're continuing to do, even though these things are anhydrous, we're studying them. We're studying formulations in, the, in those systems uh, just to try to try to identify those those scenarios when maybe it doesn't work out, you know, and, and, and there's unique delivery challenges like the, the topical permeation enhancing like permeate. When you've got an anhydrous system, the. Uh, diffusion of the active out of the system into the skin and and it, it's it's a different dynamic than in an oil and water scenario so there was a lot of work put into designing those 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 vehicles uh, you know doing the France diffusion cell work to establish that okay yeah we can deliver actives into and through human skin using this completely anhydrous system both both hydrophobic and hydrophilic molecules um, but it, overall, the, the anhydrous delivery systems uh, have been great tools. And uh, as we learn more and more, you know, we, I would anticipate that we could, we could see more of those in, in the future. Just as a, someone who's focused on the entrepreneurial world, just pulling yourself up and, and, and doing it scrappy, like you say, um, when I'm interviewing marketers and, and I'm, I'm meeting with marketers, uh, we talk about a T marketer. And <laughs> and for those that are, okay, good, you know what a T marketer is, but just for those listening, um, across the top, if you think of a capitalized T across the top, you've got uh, a little bit of knowledge in a lot of areas and you go deep in some spaces. It may be copywriting, it might be graphic design, it may be social, email. Um, and then you start to broaden out from that single spot. What are some of your favorite resources that when you're, when you're, trying to get yourself, um, I guess, to the point that, that you feel a lot more comfortable just doing it all from that that kind of singular spectrum to, to more of a broad, all-encompassing marketer. Uh, what are some of your favorite resources to recommend? So the T-shaped marketer, I actually think, is the ideal shape for a marketing starter. I myself am pretty T-shaped. I would maybe say it's like more of a fat T. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it kind of goes broad, and I got like deep in quite a, quite a few things. And maybe like I have like one area of specialty that maybe goes a little bit deeper on like the messaging and branding mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that's kind of like my forte, some stuff that I really like. Um, but that being said, the the scrappiness that needs to come in play with being a generalist and a lot of these people that I'm sure listen to the show are just because you have limited resources. You kind of have to do it all. You have to wear all the hats. I'm sure some of these people are the salesperson and the marketing person, right? And what's interesting about that is most of my time that I've spent, I mean, I've never, I mean, I guess I've done a little bit of sales, but in most of my career, it's been mostly focusing on building a partnership with the sales team. And when you're doing, when you're wearing both of those hats, you have, they, they blend together like in your mind and it's almost, almost becomes one. So as far as like resources being tactical, I mean, one of the things that I do is I just try to read as much as possible um, what other marketers and what other great companies are doing within the space. So one thing that I do, especially when I'm coming into a new company or I'm researching one, maybe a, maybe a client of mine, when I'm doing consulting, is to say, okay, what business are you in? Okay, who are your top five competitors? 
I want to know who they are. And then I go and I follow them on all their social media. I look up articles about them. I read their websites and their content to try to get a good grasp of how they're positioning themselves in the marketplace and what ultimately sets them different. You know, there might be, they might be doing the exact same thing, but the way they speak about it just resonates so much more going back to that value prop thing that we we're talking about a minute ago. Maybe they're just hitting that right on the head. Right. And they're doing that so much better. And that's why they're growing like crazy. Cause at the end of the day, like, you know, a shoe is a shoe is a shoe. It, it does. It serves a purpose of keeping my foot protected. Sure. There are little nuances to it at the end of the day, but you know, is, is Nike actually better than Reebok? That's actually better than Adidas. You might think so because maybe you have like some sort of brand allegiance, but really at the end of the day, they're just making shoes. Like those companies are no more special than the other one, right? Um, so what they're doing a good job of is communicating that value, communicating their their why. So reading, really understanding what competitors are doing and constantly keeping a pulse on that, I think is super important. Um, another great thing that I like to look at too is just where I can get engaged with the customer and really trying to listen and hear customer stories. So whether I need to like, actually sit down and, and pick up the phone and, and, and survey and, and take notes and talk to customers directly. Maybe I'm sending out a survey and people are filling it out with some, some questions about how they're re receptive to our marketing or our messaging or what's happening in the market or what they you know ideally would need from our company. Um, or I'm also reading on like customer blogs or engaging in forums, things like that. And all of that can be done very easily in the digital age that we live in today. So I think those are, you know, two really great things that a generalist can really dig into and it's reading and it's engagement. And once you really have, once you really have the, the customer megaphone attached to your ear, you're going to be so much more enlightened on what then you can do tactically as like kind of like a next step mm -hmm. to start marketing to them. We really need to talk about kind of how we got here, the purpose of why we created this new e-learning uh, educational platform and why it's super important for all pharmacies. Um, and we'll get into the details as to the why, but more or less, Matt, a big reason why we wanted to have you as a guest as well you also wear different hats, not only from a clinical services point of view, you're heavily involved from a regulatory point of view, very well versed on USP 795, 797, and 800. And with all that being said, what were some of the things that you can call attention to as to why this e-learning platform is super important? Yeah, thanks, Mike. So in terms of this new e-learning platform, this is really aligned with where we're going from a compliance standpoint, where USP is going with the new 795 and 797. I mean, even in USP today or state board regulations, there are requirements for training. Um, but looking to the future and where we seem to be going with what's been proposed for the updates to the USP chapters, um, that level of documentation around that training and the responsibility for that training uh, is really being enhanced. So the new USP chapters have this role is somebody called the, or a team of people perhaps called the designated person. That designated person is required to do training in both 795 and 797. And that training has very specific components. Before training was been described more as general around what you do in your role in the compounding pharmacy. Now it says, well, if you do compounding, whether it's sterile or non-sterile, there are certain categories that you've got to be trained on, that you've got to show your competency, show your knowledge 
uh, for that. And so there's both the piece of, of having the building, the training for folks, having them do it, but then also to have the documentation and proof of that for regulators that then when they come in, they're going to start to ask for that. Um, and this is typically also something that's used in investigations. If things go wrong and you want to try to get to the bottom of it, one of the first places that people will start from a quality aspect is want to know where people trained. How were they trained? What were they trained on? And so having those elements of your training program uh, available. And so I think that's really where this e-learning platform comes in to have this training program already ready to go, uh, having that documentation piece so you can track that. And then as time passes, this training is not something that you do just one time and you forget about it, but you have to do it on an annual basis and to keep that going. Uh, and so to have that resource available and that tracking mechanism constantly available. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to realize, and, and for some reason I caught on to this early, is that no matter what kind of setting we're in, so no matter what the economy's like, no matter what reimbursements are, no matter what may be happening, ex happening externally in our industry, the services that we provide bring value. They are helpful, they change lives, and that will never change. So when we look at it from that standpoint, it doesn't matter what kind of environment you're in, we should be able to be profitable. We should be able to be successful in what we do because what we do brings value. I was just sharing with you guys earlier that I was in Maine this last weekend and we were talking about how much a lobster roll costs. So my daughter and I went over to Maine uh, on a father-daughter trip and we, our goal was to have a Maine lobster roll. And we had no idea how much it cost. We go up to this, you know, this booth uh, in a park and it was $38. And we were gonna pay what we were gonna pay, what, whatever the price was because that was the service we wanted. We wanted lobster, we wanted from Maine. And when people come to your store and when people see that you have the solution to their problem, and this is usually a problem that they've been suffering with for years, right? I mean, people make it to the compounding pharmacy after they visited doctors, after they have visited specialists and have been told no, there aren't any options for you. And then they come into your store and they find out that you have an option, that's valuable to them. Now, it doesn't mean that we should take advantage of them, but it also doesn't mean that we should undercut ourselves and undercharge and, and not become profitable because we, we should. I mean, the only way you're gonna stay in business if you have one of these stores is if you charge appropriately. You have to generate a profit to continue your business. So you have to, I think, first realize and teach your staff that what you do has value and, and make sure that you define what that value is, not only to your store and your staff, but also to your patient, because they don't even know. They don't know the changes that you can make in their life with a simple compound. So imparting value is gonna be very important regardless of the situation that our economy's in or we're in personally. I, th I think one of the most common questions that we get, or I won't even call it a question, it could be also a concern or a challenge or a roadblock for you know an individual who's thinking about getting involved in compounding. They're obviously at a crossroads, right, Mark? Same crossroads that you're at. You know, What direction do they wanna take? They might currently already be an owner. Um, they might feel the stress of where they're at from you know, their retail gross profit margins. And then they, they look to compounding as an additional avenue of, of revenue. It's, it's a completely different world. You have the ability to, you know, to work as a cash business. Um, you have the ability to price the value that you're trying to deliver. Um, and I think where, where it's a sticking point is that everyone starts to figure out a break-even analysis first. 
they realize that there's costs involved. There's, you know, investments that need to be made. Um, and then they get, they might get so overwhelmed with that. But how did you overcome that whole process? Because I think that w is a really cool story in itself, or could be. And to be honest with you, I don't even know specifically what ran through your head at that point. But I'm assuming when you were looking at your first 11 scripts that you did in the first month, knowing that you had this overhead of rent and the amount of time that you were investing, and you obviously wanted to take home a salary as well. Sure. So, you know, what was the inflection point for you to realize, I have a value to bring, there might be a price for it, but not only, we're not making this discussion a, a pricing podcast episode, it's definitely not that. It's mm -hmm. how did you deliver the passion, find the value, bring that to the physician and to the patient, and then obviously turn that into profitability. Yeah, I, I think part of what I had to do initially, because I was 26, I had never, you know, this was my first few months in, in my profession. Uh, part of the reason I joined PCCA is I realized I was not able to do all this on my own. I didn't have all the ideas, I didn't have the knowledge base, and I needed a team of people around me. So I would say for me, as a young pharmacist and as a young business owner, it was really important for me to have a team of professionals around me that I could rely on. I had marketing specialists, I had clinical specialists, I had people here that could inform me about different devices. So I, I wasn't alone. And I think business owners often try to do it and try to become successful on their own. Whereas if you have a team of people surrounding you, you're more likely to be successful. So that was a big part of my success was just the support that I had behind me. And, and I knew that these people were for me. You know, I was new to PCCA at that point. And, you know, I didn't really know the character of the company like I do now, but I knew that they were behind me and they, they were there to support me and guide me through the process. But I had to reach out to them. As a business owner, you know, we, people aren't just going to come to you and, and give you information. You have to reach out to them and reach out and build contacts and build, you know, get to know colleagues. And, and that's what helped guide me. It was the success of others that helped propel me towards my own success. Going back to the patient, obviously, this is super important from a regulatory framework, and mm -hmm. we know that. And you also mentioned the focus on, on the patient, the, on the odds and probability of cross-chemical contamination. Let me, let me take things back a sec, because a lot of the work that you do is also potency testing. And potency testing on, on finished dosage forms that are compounded. So where does, wh what's the advice? What's the feedback what are pharmacies, the ones that are doing it right, what feedback would you have for those that don't have the awareness right now to be proactive? Well, the ones that do it right, they actually take their time, they know what's important, and they don't rush. Now, that doesn't mean they're not quick. They don't rush. Everyone that we know of that does the very good job, we have some folks that never have an issue. If you go to their lab, it looks like some of the other labs. We go into gorgeous labs that can't make a product. They just can't because it's the people. And I think we sort of lose track of that. I think we lose track of that. I think sometimes the 797s and 800s and 795 perhaps place too much time and effort on your facility should look like this. This thing should look like that. And that's good. And that's important. I like that. But it's the people. The people have to be aware, self-aware of themselves, what they're doing. The potency stuff, guys, you give a lot of classes. You know, some people can't add. 
I'm so I I'm that, not. I'm just, that, that's they, our job to teach them. But, but yes, that's true statement. I'm going to give them a calculator. I mean, they they, they just they're because they're rushing because it's normal. What is look when we get we have all too many, all too many potencies that come back straight numbers. Okay, they miss the decimal points. They don't, when someone comes out with forty six percent, forty six thousand percent, which is published. We published that one. That wasn't our highest. It's it's something other than a decimal point. It's either they forgot salt concentrations, they forgot everything, waters back, they forgot everything. You have to slow down and make sure that you know how to do it right the first time. And then mimic that. And not to get so comfortable that that you have this all-power knowledge that if I can make a little bit of change and tweak it, it won't matter. Tweaks don't work in our world. All right. They they just don't work. You you have to change something, do the math. Just, just do the math. You have to, you have to do that, and I think that the, I think most people are really, really on top of that today, Mike and Sebastian. I got to tell you that the ones that are the, and I don't call anybody a bad actor. The ones making the larger mistakes, some of them are new, okay, and some of them still don't get it, okay, but those are very few and far between. I'm telling you, I'm very proud of this marketplace. I'm very proud of what these people are doing. I, I am proud that they stand up for their rights. A little quieter sometimes than they should be. Sometimes they should be louder. It's so, coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of, I'm the quietest person you've ever met. And so at, at the end of the day, they're, they're doing a much better job. And the much better job is simply, simply saying, wait a minute, this is how we have to do it. And that's great. And the, our metrics prove it. I've, I've just got to talk about the custom piece. We're developing these formulas in-house oh, yeah. because with our team. But on the flip side, like we've got some really intelligent practitioners out there yes. who, are, who are equally educated or even more knowledgeable in some aspects. And they come back and they say, hey, Stephanie, have you? I, I want to do something different. Yeah. Do we have an avenue for those practitioners? Yes, I'm actually, I'm actually working on a, a few big new custom formulas for some of our members right now. Um, that I was working on right, right before I walked in here today. Um, so it's it's pretty neat because of the minimum purchase quantity for custom formula is usually in the hundreds. And for a lot of manufacturers. Uh, hundreds of bottles. 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 Not, not capsules. <laughs> bottles. Right. Um, so this is, I think, a 60 bottle minimum. Um, and I know that on some formulas, I can go even lower than that if you want. Um, and then we got a, a, a selection of a, just pretty much every raw ingredient you can think of. And whatever formula they bring to me, I just uh, take it to the manufacturer. We go over it, make sure everything looks good, and then we come back with a quote. And then you can buy it. It takes about about six weeks. Six weeks from from decision yep. to storefront. Right, and it comes with your private label. I think also here what stands out to me is I mentioned our 15 years of experience, the products that we carry, you know, your ability to work with some of the manufacturers of these products Let's talk about the quality of it too, because I know you know it's it's obviously synonymous with who PCCA is. It's a cornerstone of you know our product offering is that it's quality first always, no matter yeah. what. Um, but that also extends and rolls over into the Wallace Works line. Oh yes. So let's talk about the quality piece, because I talked about how you know we stand apart from competition. It's not just offering a unique blend. Um, and obviously this falls outside the domain of active pharmaceutical ingredients, falls outside the, the realm of, you know, prescription medication, but there's still a tremendous focus on quality in regards to who we buy from the same, 
the same idea, the same PCCA standard that we use with our other products, whether it's a component in a base, whether it's an active pharmaceutical ingredient, like I mentioned, quality is at the forefront. So let's talk about the quality process because I know that's a big part of what you do as well, Stephanie. Oh, yes, all the way down from the original raw, raw ingredients until it comes into uh, our warehouse. We test again here. So we have testing on all the raw ingredients at the manufacturer level. Then we have certificates of analysis that we can actually make available to the pharmacies for every single lot of every single product that comes in the door. And then, like I said, we test again here at the door. And then we do all of our own uh, manufacturing vendor quality audits. I'm doing one actually next week. Um, and so we have all of that available and um, we can provide all that testing information at the request. Of the so customer. you physically go on site as well. Yeah. Um, and do a lot of the, the walkthroughs from a quality oh, perspective. You should see the audit checklist I have. It's intimidating. <laughs> I, I've been to one um, manufacturer in Orlando, um, and I think we do business with them, and their facility was mind-blowing because I know what we do from a CGMP point of view, right. but the reality is it's CGMP in their world as well. So knowing that you're doing a quality checklist, that's a, that's a pretty big undertaking as well. But once again, an extra step, an extra commitment to quality – because it's not just on the product level in regards to quality control and verifying that the product is what it is. Who are we buying from and what are they doing? So right, that's right. a really big part of it. And um, I think yourself and Wellness Work should be extremely proud of that because there's not many resellers or vendors out there that will take those additional steps to not only vet the product, but vet the manufacturer. Right. We're very hands-on. Yes. It's important to us and it's important to our customers and our patients. So I'm going to change gears because I have already mentioned this, like I'm a big fan of the team that you've assembled, but I'm also a big fan of yours and what you're actually doing to ensure that what we're doing with our Wellness Works lines and, and our, our utilization is going to be at, at, at always at the forefront. So I kind of wanted to just ask a few questions about you and the team's background and how we're having this impact on our formulation development. So you're kind of up first because you're in front of me. Um, Sort of what what are you doing currently and what sort of accreditation? Because that's going to be a very common question, I'm sure, is like, well, how does she learn so much? So I'm constantly seeking out and, and taking on challenges and learning. I'm a lifelong learner for sure. And I, I did mention, mention that conference I went to last week, but also this month I took the, uh, the brain health training course from Functional Aging Institute. So I got certified in that. Right now I'm studying for a certification in supplement science from Huntington. I just got an associate in integrative nutrition from Huntington. And then on the business side, I have an associate in business from University of Houston. And I've got, uh, I'm certified practice enhancement specialist from A4M. That's a little bit more on the business side of helping pharmacies and functional medicine uh, professionals, you know, learn how to market themselves and, and run an efficient business. Um, I think that's everything I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder why I'm a fan because oh, it's thanks. just like, it's so impressive. Um, there's, and, just, there's so much more to learn still that I've got. And, and, but that's the person we want to have who's leading this team. Um, but talking about the team, who else have you got in your team with oh, respect to I formulation development? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Barbara Moore, she's, um, she's part time, but she's sort of our marketing liaison for the pharmacies. She does. I, I think she does more than full-time work in a part-time job. I don't know how she does it. Um, and she was the head of marketing for Halliburton for over 10 years wow. internationally. So she really knows the marketing world very well. And she's, she's very customer focused. 
Um, so she's she's always doing the research on the on different uh, pharmacies and what we can do best to help them. So everything's individualized. It's a lot of one on one with her. And then we have Ike. He does a lot of our design work right now, um, and he's got a bachelor's um, in um, in marketing as well. After we evolved out of the, you know, sort of with the PLO and saying we just don't know enough, I think that's when we said, well, let's join PCCA, and that's that was sort of the the start of all of that. And I've been with PCCA and you know, gone to numerous, I've grown up, I guess, with PCCA, because when we started, it was just, uh, even PCCA was just a small little company. Um, and we would go to the internationals and there weren't very, you know, they were small auditoriums. And I learned a lot at those early, in those early sessions that I still apply today. Um, so I always recommend, like, I still go to as many, uh, many of the internationals as I can, looking forward to being back in them live this year. Hopefully we can get to them without any other disruptions. So it's been an ongoing growth. Um, I, I, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, lifelong learning. So I continue to try to keep learning and I keep trying to improve. And I still just need to find more time so I can get, you know, our advanced in Alberta, we can do prescribing. So I still have to get that. That's on my next on my list. And then I want to get my functional medicine degree. So those are those are sort of what I'm looking for in the future. And I sort of believe in all of the sort of continually looking forward and not looking backwards. So that's what's coming up. And like I say, PCCA has been, you know, and you yourself, Seb, I've talked to you a lot, um, you know, where we, where we, where we're going with different things like LDN. And, you know, so I'm doing a lot of learning on that right now. So it's, it's, it's a growing process. It never stops. You know, Darren, um, I, I kind of put myself in your shoes for one sec, but there's no way I can ever be able to truly understand it. Um, so I'm very curious. What you mentioned that there was so many ownership changes, you know, a company that was 85 years old, um, obviously a lot younger when you, you first took over. What did it mean to you um, to buy an existing business that had that history behind it as well? It was something to be proud of. You know, you think back that a company, you know, I listen to I, I belong to different, uh, you know, business clubs and stuff like that. And, you know, people to advertise, you know, talk about, oh, you know, we're 35 years old or 50 years old and everyone applauds. And, you know, we're approaching 90 years in business and it's like and you look and my my wife's pretty good she tries to keep sort of the history of all the buildings that we've been in you know buildings have come and gone some have been just been torn down even that we've had stores in you know and we've been you know we've had like any business you things go positive sometimes you get sort of uh undercut by your competitors or something goes south um but i think that the key for us has always been we take the high road you know we've changed our business model quite a bit over the last sort of five, six years since I've taken over where we really focus a lot on our compounding because uh, the rest of the farm, you know, the re regular allopathic system isn't, isn't that sort of uh, profitable kind of thing, comparatively speaking. Right. So it's become a niche and we've been, you know, we were one of the first into the market and we want to continually keep being sort of the leaders. And that's, I think, I think that's what I think probably I'm most proud of is I believe we're one of the leaders um, in not just Alberta, probably in Canada, I would hope, in what we're doing in compounding. So I like to try to keep us right on the top of, you know, keep climbing that mountain to try to be at the top. Wow. It's my 19th year of attending seminars. 2011 was the 30th anniversary. Um, flash mob was still, that one's tough to beat. That was pretty cool. It's funny that you said that because that was my first. Really? It was. And I was like, oh my gosh, where do I work? Because <laughs> like, you didn't know we were doing wild. it. <laughs> no clue. But not only that, it was 
so well done. There's always something special that we do. And yes. um, yeah, it's that's where you recognize that there's a culture at PCCA that is beyond just attending an event um, and getting access to speakers. It's it's more than that. There's a lot of intangibles mm -hmm. you can't put your finger on. So I'll go with that one as well, Lizzie. Since it was my first. There you go, 2011. I like it. I like it. Renee, what about you? Two things. Um, I love what we do with with the banquet and the celebrations and and the awards. You guys mentioned flash mob. I loved the dueling piano bar that we had a few years ago that we did as as a fundraiser. And, but it was just everybody jamming out to 80s music or whatever it was that they wanted the dueling pianos to play. Um, that was just a super fun night. And my other one is just has to be education. I, I love it when I get a request from members on who they want to hear and we're able to bring it, bring them in. Um, two in particular come to mind, Dr. Daniel Amen and Dr. David Perlmutter were two, you know, very renowned clinicians and being able to bring those in and have our members just be in awe of those speakers. Yeah, I remember that. I think there's certain members that have also commented on some of those talks in terms of being, what, years ahead um, in regards to what was really up and coming. And being cutting edge, I think, is falls under your responsibilities, right, Renee? It's like, well, how do you overcome it? How do you have to always beat up the year prior? And how do you stay ahead of the curve? Because you mentioned our focus on traditional symposiums focused on one disease state. That in itself is not necessarily easy. That's a challenge. But how do you overcome it? And how do you beat everything at international and make, I, it, make it a flagship? I will tell you how she does this. And I mean, she's truly a lifelong learner. She is curious like status quo does not cut it. And then I think the secret sauce is her true passion for what she does. I mean, your own personal journey is like, you're as excited about these topics as our members are. And, and that goes to the being a lifelong learner. So we're really lucky to have Renee on our team leading education. Thanks for all you do. I know I'll, I'll be like, I'll listen to a podcast on a Saturday afternoon and I'll send it to Renee. I'm like, Renee, get these people for international. I'm like, they're amazing. She never, I mean, she gets speakers all the time from people and never gets somebody and says no, ever. It's like, oh, well, let me look into that, right? Sometimes it may be no for different reasons once we look into it, but I think always yeah, and that's, just being open. Yeah, and I, and uh, I, one of my favorite things is reading our evaluations from our attendees. And a question that we have on every single one is who do you recommend as future speakers? And that, that, goes into a file and then the next time we're planning an event, okay, well, who can we get that mm -hmm. our members have requested? And it's, it's great. And then also too, just, you know, like you guys said, just staying, um, cutting edge in the industry, compounding functional medicine, working closely with, with other industry organizations and just making sure that we're meeting the needs of our members and where the industry's going. Yeah. Thank you both for that. And thanks for sharing your memories as well. Yeah, thank you. And I want to end with a pearl since that's what we've talked about Absolutely. is learning. We've kind of talked about Clint as our keynote. I know Ryan Avery is really filling those shoes this year. But we have established a stay interview program at PCCA this year. And so instead of wanting to interview somebody when they're leaving, right, known as an exit interview, we want to talk to our greatest people and talk to them about what is keeping them here. And so Clint Pulver 
came up with three questions that we've incorporated into our stay interviews. And the first one everyone listening could ask their team members is, what can I do to keep you here? It's very simple. What can I do to keep you here? Number two, what's getting in the way of your success at work? It's a unique way of saying, you know, what challenges are you facing, right? And then three, what can I do to help you get there? Um, I, I, you know, and I think that a lot of times we go to conferences and then we've met a few people, we might have their phone number, we might find them on Facebook or Instagram or something like that, but we don't maintain those relationships. So you click with someone, but, um, you go back to a busy, you know, a busy store and, and you just don't, um, get back to those people. And I just would say to anyone who's done that or has the opportunity to develop um, a relationship, it's worth it. I mean, the time that you put into it is is worth every second. Um, do it. It will make you better. It will make your life more, and, you know, it will just enrich your life. Um, and so, you know, do it. Take that time to, you know, send them a text, check on them. How's, you know, how's the store? What what have you, um, because it's, it has to start somewhere. Um, and you know, if, if, uh, you know, I just can't reiterate more how, um, how richer, how much richer my life is because of Deborah and Rennell, um, that, you know, I would say just go out there and do it, develop relationships like that um, within your circle and, um, and you know, give it whatever effort, you know, it takes because it it's worth it. Yeah, I agree because those people will be there for you when you need those people. And you don't even have to ask them in many cases if you have built that relationship. They're, they're there. They're your friends through thick and thin. And it's just like... Um, it, it like with Ronell and Trisha, like I can, like I work East Coast hours, so like it's six a.m. in the morning when whenever I start working for Ronell on the West Coast, it's six a.m. And I have built enough a relationship with her that if I get a a weird funky question that I like say to myself, well, I know this, but I really want a second opinion, and I know Ronell, this is kind of her strength, like it's a hormone question, I. Am not, has, I won't hesitate to text her at that time in the morning. Most people will be like, oh, that's 6 a.m. She's going to freak out if you text her that early. Because <laughs> that's <laughs> like, that is like way early for a lot of people. And some people are up that early, but regardless, I'm comfortable. And then conversely, you know, she works, the, she works late. So like, she doesn't stop working until about eight, nine o'clock my time. And she, sometimes she'll get a vet question or something that she wants to bounce off of me. She has no hesitation to text me and ask me that question because she knows I'm going to pick up the phone and answer that question for her. It's just we've taken the time to build that relationship. And and like Trisha said, I mean, all it takes is a text to check on somebody. That takes, what, two seconds. That doesn't take any time. Or if it, you know, I like to try to do things for like on people's birthday, wish them happy birthday. Like Rennell's birthday was Sunday. So we we all wished her happy birthday that day. <laughs> we won't say how old she is. Her age is unlisted as well. So. Yeah, good. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think you mentioned okay. on the meeting you were 29 again or something. That was 29 again. 
Let's talk about podcasting a bit because, you know, just keeping things top of mind, your incredible background, your unique view or perspective on healthcare. What made podcasting an important part of getting the word out for you? And, and how has that journey been as well? Yeah, podcasting has been amazing. It is a very unique platform. It, and I say that because there's so many different use cases. There's a ton of utility with podcasts. I started off doing videos on Facebook. And I would do uh, videos on the questions that people would ask me the most. And it's got to the point where I would start to get like 1,000, 1,500 views per video. I go, wait a minute, there's something here. People like what I have to say. And I did a post that said, hey, if I start a blog or a podcast, will anybody listen? I got 120 responses saying yes. So if 120 people are telling you to do something, you should probably do it. And it was either, okay, do I want to start a blog? Well, I don't really like writing. This whole podcasting thing is coming up. Well, let me do that. So I hired a podcasting coach. He walked me through the ins and outs. And then I just started. I just started putting stuff online. And there's so many different ways that you can utilize a podcast for your goals. I didn't want to directly monetize my podcast. I wanted it to be a free resource for information that I thought was essential. A lot of the things that we teach in lifestyle medicine are things that we should teach our kids. They should be in schools. And so I didn't want to charge people for that, but I used it indirectly as a way to build my thought leadership. And that's what landed me speaking gigs. It landed me consulting gigs. And that is how I utilize my podcast because it not only helped my consulting career, but it also helped me get information out there. And I really wanted to portray a, a message of hope that people are in control of their own destinies, that no matter what's happened to you, you can change your situation because I firmly believe that. And in my podcast, I'm not just an expert. I'm someone living through things. I, my whole family has mental illness. I've had sciatica since I was 13. I've had insomnia since I was 12. I've had irritable bowel since I was nine years old. Um, I have horrible allergies. I had asthma so bad I couldn't play sports until eighth grade. So I've had a lot of health struggles in, in my career. And, and, you know, I talk about these things because there are ways that I've dealt with things, ways that I've improved my health, ways that help my, my clients and my patients. And it's just been really cool because there are people who listen to my podcast all around the world which is really interesting. And, and I had a, a fangirl moment one time. I was walking my dog outside of, of the apartment complex and we live right by Minute Maid. And this girl hops out of the car, looks at me and goes, are you that doctor on Instagram? I go, I'm a doctor and I'm on Instagram. <laughs> she goes, Dr. Harris, right? I go, yeah. She goes, oh my God, I follow your stuff. I listen to your podcast. I love it. She goes, it, it's changed my life. It's helped my family. So keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, wow, that's that's a really powerful moment that that you can impact people that you've never even met. And I think that's really the joy and the, the best utility of podcasting. It kind of makes it all worth it, right? That you get oh, that one moment. Does. It's like, oh, I'm resonating with somebody. At least there's an individual out there that are not just listening. <laughs> I got them. one. Yeah. Well, they're, it, it's, you're resonating with them too. I think I was going to ask you that question with the platform being obviously available 
to all corners of the earth. Do you see that a lot of your listeners are tuning in locally that potentially are patients of yours? Or is it really just, you know, open platform and you're just appealing to a wide audience? Yeah, I did everything that you're not supposed to do when you podcast. You're supposed to niche things down, right? I didn't mm -hmm. do that. Because I'm an, I'm an internal medicine physician. We're mm -hmm. the people who are supposed to know about everything. And so I said, how can I, in my background, niche a podcast down when I'm treating people with all different things, all different walks of life? And so that is the essence of, of my podcast. And it's really about chronic disease and how you prevent chronic disease and how you keep yourself healthy. And if you have chronic disease, how you can possibly reverse chronic disease. And so I, I really try to do things differently than, than what people say you should do. I'm the kind of person that if they say, you know, you need to swim downstream, I'm gonna, probably going to swim upstream just to see what's up there, right? And see if I can do it. And I think podcasting allows you to do that, to be yourself, to, to really put out what you want to put out and, and connect with people who are going to be on the same wavelengths as you. Because you could even say the same thing that other people say, but you put it in a way that may resonate differently with different people than somebody else. And I think that's the beauty of, of podcasting. And whether you have 10 million listeners or 50 listeners, you're still impacting people. I guess we can start off by just really discussing what are the major points that came up in these latest revisions posted on November 1st, we're obviously going to get a chance to talk about gu uh, guidelines and timelines, but the reality is what's in there that everyone really needs to know of. So Mike, I'm, I'm going to ask Matt to, to take the lead on some of that discussion, but I want to point out something that you mentioned in the lead in, which is the popularity of this topic. It really points to the the goals that the compounding community strives towards compliance. We want to know what are the expectations, what are the standards, what are the best practices, and what are the steps that we can be doing as individual pharmacy practices, as well as as a compounding pharmacy community to make sure that we are compliant, that we're meeting and exceeding those standards. So um, I do applaud you guys for all of your efforts to get topics of interest out into the community on a regular basis, and of course, the compounding community directly for the evidence that you have you've shown in your interest in these topics you you want to do things that are right in the best interest of your patients and continually pushing your your quality improvement efforts and so uh, thank you for that so as we talk about these updated standards it's also recognized that your your updated standards are your minimum requirements if you will they're standards, they become requirements based off of your regulatory authority who's holding you accountable to that. And typically that's going to be your boards of pharmacy. It might be an accreditation organization if you are, are engaged in that. But think of these as your minimums. That doesn't mean that that's all you need to be doing. And most of you are doing more than that. So that's where we also talk about best practices and, and what does it look like upon implementation. So uh, Matt, I'll, I'll, I'll hand things off to you to, to kind of talk about what some of the uh, key updates of interest with these new standards are. Yeah, I think that's a great point to start out, AJ, that, that both these chapters, the new 795 and 797, uh, talk about themselves as the minimum standard. To that end, uh, I guess I'd take just a quick second to make sure to remind everybody about the FDA's 
uh, insanitary conditions guidance document. Uh, I've been talking about this for a little while now, but it's it's a major focus for the agency. And I think that there's a lot of overlap uh, in that document with where we're going with some of the USP chapters and some of the focus areas. So I think it's important to, to make sure that everybody's very aware uh, of the insanitary conditions guidance and how it reflects on their practice as well in places that uh, they can go above the minimum standards uh, in USP. So let's talk a little bit about the timeline where the chapters are going. Uh, as you all are aware, the chapters were released November 1st. Uh, usually USP gives you six months to implement the chapters, um, but there were some requests for USP to give a longer timeline for implementation, and that's what they've done. So the chapters don't go into effect until November 1st of 2023. So they've given a full year for these chapters to be implemented. Uh, the other thing that's going to be really important, not only do we have the new 795 and the new 797, but the fact that these chapters will exist, they will now officially recognize Chapter 800 for hazardous drugs. Uh, and so when the new 795 and 797 go in on November 1st, 2023, USP 800 is coming along with it. So if your board of pharmacy requires you to have compliance with USP, not only do you have new 795, 797 to comply with, you also have USP 800. Now, to be fair, there's various uh, approaches to USP from boards of pharmacy. Uh, some of them are prevented from wholesale adopting uh, USP chapters by reference. They can't just say follow USP chapter whatever. Some of them write specific regulations that are very close to USP but may not be uh, exact. So you need to know what those uh, circumstances are for the boards of pharmacy that you hold a license with uh, as a pharmacy and know what their approaches uh, may be to this and see if you want to have any input as they uh, consider these new chapters or anything that you may have uh, a particular concern with. But, but on the whole, we're looking at a new 795, a new 797 and 800 uh, November 1st, 2023. Uh, if you don't have access to the new 795, 797, or you've been looking for it, um, some people were maybe a little bit confused because previously when the revisions were out, the proposed revisions, those were publicly available. You could just go to the USP website, click on them, download them. That's not the case for the revised chapters. Now that USP is um, most likely done with their revision process, um, you actually have to purchase access to USP uh, through USP, okay? And you've got a couple of options. One of those is the compounding compendium, which will give you the USP chapters relevant to compounding according to USP. The other option that you have is more expensive, but I, I do think it's worth it, uh, is to get access to the full USP where you'll get not, not only the chapters, but also access to the chemical and product monographs, um, which I think is really helpful as you consider how to apply certificate of analysis uh, calculations to your compounded formulation. So uh, I don't have any role in, you know, in selling the USP or, or receiving anything from it, but I, I would encourage everybody to go out and get access to uh, the full USP so that you have all of the information um, that USP can, can give to you. You literally took the next question ahead. Out of my mouth. Well, it's because I'm reading your mind. Rude. You, you really We've did. been doing this long enough. I kept on thinking of, you know, what Oakdale represented, what, what Jeff represented in the San Antonio area, and then obviously everything that Matt 
was living by in the mission of the pharmacy was a commitment to quality. So, you know, what did that mean for you, Matt? Because there's a lot of pharmacies say they're committed to quality, you know, but certain individuals might not practice it the same way um, and have it as a part of their core value and, you know, a centralized mission around we're going to do this the right way. We're going to do this the best way. We're going to do this the the best way for the patient and and taking all those considerations um, at face value, whether it's facility, whether it's the quality assurance piece, whether it's the active ingredients, the bases, everything uh, that goes into the compound. So what did this mean for you uh, as you led the pharmacy initiatives and, and ran operations? So running operations, you're always trying to look at the bottom line. And part of our bottom line included the price that it took to get everything tested. And so we realized there was, you know, that's a, that's a high commitment. But when we were able to go out to practitioners and state, last year we spent over $150,000 in quality. A lot of times you get some job drops and they would be <laughs> job draws. Yeah, yeah I got like it. Well. Excuse me, Houston, uh, I'm a little uh, decongest decongested prone today. Um, but it, it, we did have that commitment. We did put that out there. And we would always send out testing. We would use the testing in our competitive advantage. And so we always focused on the quality. But when you look at the price, and I believe I might have mentioned this to you, Seb, about sometimes you look at some of those ingredients that aren't, let's say, narrow therapeutic index, aren't the estrogens. And you, you kind of look and, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. I'm going to try this other minoxidil. The amount of time I spent the following month and a half remaking minoxidil prescriptions, listening to complaints, fielding phone calls, was enough to reaffirm the fact we are using a product that has a blue label for a purpose. Who can guarantee me the particle size? I know PCCA can guarantee me that. Who can guarantee me the solubility? I never had the problem when it was a PCCA product. And so I just use that as an example to my staff. Look, <clears throat> sometimes we're going to see a product that, that might look pretty, but it's what's on the inside that's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a, such a funny analogy because I, I actually had that conversation with a, another pharmacist today. And they said, oh, it says USP. And, and, I, and, I, and I said that there's qualities beyond USP. And that's a minimum standard for compliance not necessarily the only standards that are going to be used in the compounding world. So I guess the next step is, because where do you fit into our team? Because you have such this broad experience and, and how are you going to kind of shape your career in the next steps? Because I'm kind of looking to you and be like, what can't you do? You're like agent of change and you've got all this, you've got an MBA and what do you want? Why are you with us? What do you want to achieve with the membership? Well, when I got my MBA, I got it for two reasons. One is I always thought, okay, what am I missing? How can I help the pharmacy improve, grow, just be better? And the other reason is I always wanted to join PCCA. And so it was a bittersweet day, my last day at Oakdale, but it was an exciting day as well. I always wanted to put on the blue. And the day I got my first blue shirt, I was so excited. Went immediately and tried it on in the hotel room. And just, uh, I've told other people that I really felt like I was moving from one family to another family. I've, I've known 
the the PCCA family for so long going uh, going to get educated. Um, Aaron Michael was a huge influence on me um, with the way she always says lifelong learner. And I realized, you know, I really want to embrace that. And so that's one reason I decided to continue my education. I wanted to be a lifelong learner. And uh, it was a podcast I was listening to one day, not y'all's, even though I do have y'all's on oh, frequent that, that uh, autoplay. That totally hurts. Uh, but there was a entrepreneurial podcast I listened to, and, and there was a guy who said something that really hit me. It said, if you're not learning, you're dying. And so that was, that was kind of what kicked me over the edge. And so when it comes to this place, um, I don't know. I, I'm excited to find all the different ways I can help others. I can help members. Having been a member, I kind of understand that side of the equation. I know many of the consultants have been members at one point, and so they understand what a pharmacy has to do to successfully operate. And so using my background, I look forward to answering operations questions. Um, I was rented for three and a half years to a doctor's office to start a wellness clinic. And so in that wellness clinic, I got to interpret labs. I got to make suggestions on the prescriptions. And so I have a lot of experience when it comes to that side of it. And I was able to not only grow the Oakdale business, but I was able to help grow this wellness business. And so I understand many pharmacies are getting into the wellness practice. And so I'm, I'm excited to see because I know how far that can take a pharmacist. They can practice, you know, more with their, they can use their license more. They can practice more to the fulfillment of the profession. Well, that is a wrap on 2022. We really hope that you got a chance to enjoy this episode and enjoy some of those best moments. If you really heard something that you enjoyed, I would honestly recommend to go back and find some of those episodes, depending on what platform you're listening to. Uh, it was just overall a great year. Thank you again for your support. As I mentioned earlier, have a happy holidays. All the best to you and your pharmacy staff for 2023. This is Mike Delisio, and we will talk to you next year.